Welcome to Studying the Song, a podcast to help musical theater actors figure out what to sing and how to sing it so that you shine in your audition, one-woman show, or leading role. My friends, talent and passion are only the beginning. I believe there is freedom in preparation. I believe that when you put in the work, practice the skills, and do the research, something amazing happens. You become so prepared in your craft that you become unstoppable. In this podcast, I want to give you the tools and skills to create a powerful audition book that showcases your artistry and actually gets you work. I want you to feel totally at home reading the musical score of a show, and I want to help you define your unique artistic voice. Consider me your own personal vocal coach in your earbuds, cheering you on and bringing you the reality checks you need along the way. I'm Corey Yamaoka, and I'm so excited to be walking this journey with you. Let's dive in. Hello, welcome back to Studying the Song. Today, we are going to be breaking down the show Hades Town, which premiered on Broadway in 2019, took the theater world by storm. People were raving about this incredibly creative score and show. And then COVID struck and the show had to close. So we are going to be talking about um, the characters and the vocal styles and the music styles of the score, and then exactly what artists uh, you want to be looking at to find audition material. So that's what's in store today. Before we do that, let's do a quick shout out to one of my listeners who left a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you for that. Today's shout out goes to Shuck Fam. She says, wow, listening to Corey's podcast has helped me focus my singing with intention. Although I'm not a theater performer, her insight into the intention of performance resonates well for other avenues. I just listened to the March 21st episode, the number one missing ingredient in your rock audition, and found myself saying yes throughout. Singers of all varieties need to learn these techniques. Corey is the real deal. Thank you, Shuck Fam, for taking the time to leave a review. I'm glad that you found that this is a resource that can span other genres and help you in your area of performing. It's true that, um, you know, many of the things that I'm talking about are not theater specific. They're just about being a good performer, period. So um, you raise a really good point, and I hope that that will, you know, help other listeners who take a look at that review say, maybe this is the podcast for me. If you're interested in being featured on the show, go ahead and leave a review over at Apple Podcasts, and I will be sure to shout you out in a future episode. All right, now let's get into the show breakdown of Hadestown. First, I want to say this. This piece is incredibly magical and sort of hit me right in the center when I started to listen to it. Like I had to stop doing everything else, and I just listened totally to the lyrics and the music. And I was taking notes about what was happening and what the sounds were and what the instrumentation and the orchestration were. And I was just stunned by how beautiful this show is. Um, It's exactly the kind of music I like to listen to. It's the kind of singing I like to hear and do. Um, It's the kind of show I want to music direct. It's the kind of show I wish I had written. And because of all those things, I had a little bit of trepidation about speaking about this today, and I didn't realize that I would have it because I have such respect for this show, and I don't want to get it wrong. So I'm feeling all the feelings as I'm about to, um, you know, share my thoughts on the show with you today. And um, I just, I had to kind of give myself a pep talk and say, you know what, this is where you're at with the show right now. 
these are the thoughts that you've had. They are valid and you are going to spend more time listening to this show and you are going to music direct this show one day and you're going to wrestle with it even more. And I just feel like there's so much to say and um, a short time to do it in. So what I want to do today, again, is give you sort of a summary of of the who the characters are and the journey of the show, and then break down the score, the sounds that you're going to be hearing a little bit, and then really talk about what artists for each character. And I think that that will be helpful information for you as you consider auditioning for this show. So Hades Town is described as a folk opera. It was written by Aeneas Mitchell, who is a singer-songwriter, and directed by Rachel Chavkin. So let me talk about each of these gals for a second. Um, Aeneas Mitchell is a singer-songwriter, folk artist that came up during the, I'd say, early 2000s. And I know of her because she came up on the record label Righteous Babe Records, which was owned and run by one of my favorite musicians and artists, Ani DeFranco. And um, Aeneas came out and was creating this very creative, um, magical kind of ethereal music, even back then. That was just her whole performance style. And then she actually created uh, the Hades Town concept album in 2010, but pieces for this were being written already in 2006. So this show has a long history. It's been. Um, worked on by sort of the same core group of people for a long time. So the guy who produced the Hades Town concept album in 2010, Michael Chorney, he's a guitarist and he is actually the orchestrator and arranger for the Broadway show. And then the co-orchestrator arranger is Todd Sikafus, who is a bass player and he played bass for Ani DeFranco, um, but he also produced that album. Okay, I'm hopping in for a quick second while I'm editing. Um, Michael Chorney wrote the arrangements for that album and Todd Sikafus produced. Okay, bye. So you get this long-standing team working together and over the last, you know, 15 years creating this really coherent, cohesive, beautiful piece of art. Now, adding to that team, we have Rachel Chavkin, who is an amazing director. And before Hades Town, she directed Natasha Pierre and the Great Comet of 1812, for which she was nominated for a Tony. She won the Tony for Best Direction for Hades Town. And her, I actually got to see the Great Comet um, before it hit Broadway. So it was still in like this pop-up tent venue. And the the um the actors were like acting all around you. We were at little cabaret tables and then there they had sort of this catwalk that went around the whole venue. And then they were, they were also on the floor walking behind us in the tables. So it was very interactive in that sense. You were constantly like turning your head to see the action. There was color, there was senses and texture. And she brings all of that also to Hades Town. She's able to get a lot of action in a small space. And what's cool about this piece is that it's actually, it's set as if it's a group of players coming out to tell you a story, and then they take on the characters and become those characters for the rest of the show. And then at the show, those characters sort of dissolve again, and the lights come up, and they're a group of players, and they actually sing you a song as an audience member at the end of the show after the lights have come up, and it's a really beautiful moment. So it's sort of this... Let's tell you a story, and then you get you get sucked in to this beautiful, beautiful, tragic story. 
So let's talk about just the the basic music styles that you're going to hear, and I'll go in more detail later. But this folk opera includes folk Appalachian music, bluegrass music, blues, and jazz. And what's so neat is how those things are married throughout the show so that within one song, you can't say that this song is totally folk or this is totally jazz. They're all informing each other and creating this really cool eclectic mix. And then the the genres are being you know, written in such a way by Aeneas that the tone of the piece is very um, magical and mystical and ethereal, otherworldly, sort of spiritual, and it has this entrancing quality that pulls you in and doesn't let you go until the whole story is done being sung. So as you're looking for audition material, I would just keep in mind that quality of mysticism and the magical and the ethereal. And indeed, the story is dealing with these mythological characters and mythological stories. I guess we just call them myths. Yes. Another element that Aeneas brings to this that is slightly different than musical theater is that she's really clear when you watch interviews and they talk about the development of this project that this piece is really a poem and the music is part of that poem. And even at sometimes the music will exist just for itself, not as plot development, but that it's it's really about evoking these emotions through the poetry and the beauty of the music, and that you don't have to keep spelling things out and propelling the plot forward. Sometimes you just need to live in that emotion for another moment. So let's talk about the show, the summary, the plot here. The story of Hades Town centers around two romantic couples. Both of these are Greek mythological couples. The first is Orpheus and Eurydice. So Orpheus, um, in the story, he is a poet and a singer, and he is he plays the lyre, and so he's really like a songwriter. And his thing that he's trying to achieve is he's trying to finish this song that he's been writing. And the song has some sort of magical ability to sort of bring life to nature and to bring spring where there was winter and barrenness. So he's writing this thing. He's obsessed about it. He meets Eurydice, and Eurydice is this tough girl who has had to survive and struggled to survive on her own her whole life. She is very concerned about the practical and the real and how she is going to feed herself for her next meal rather than living in this world of idealism that Orpheus lives in. So he instantly falls in love when he sees her and she is skeptical. But once he plays a little bit of this song that he's writing for her and she sees the magic take action, even just a little bit, she is won over and she, you know, their love story emerges and continues to develop. The other love story that we're following is that of Hades and Persephone, and these two are gods. Hades is the lord of the underworld. Persephone is his queen, but Persephone is also known as the goddess of like vegetation and spring, and for half of the year, she lives up on the surface of the earth and is known as bringing life to all the things that are green and growing. And then for the other six months, she has to return to Hades town and live underground. 
which she hates and she resents. And Hades and Persephone, you know, they're, it, the story intimates, whether this is true to the myth, it, it, I don't think it is, but this show intimates that they were in love at one time and Hades did have a deep love for her. And over time, her having to exist in this underworld, she's grown to resent it. She doesn't appreciate what Hades is providing for her. And Hades says that everything that he's built has been for her. And what has he's built? He's built Hades Town. Hades Town is a factory for these workers, the the dead really that have come under his to be under his domain. And it's electricity and it's fossil fuels and it's steel and it's machinery and it's forging and all these things that are very, you know, tactile and dark and metallic and cold um and yet hot because they're forging the metal down there. So it's all of this, he says he does for Persephone, even though that's not what she would perceive as being, you know, something, a show of love. Telling this story and leading us through these two couples is Hermes, another god. And Hermes is known as the messenger god. He's also a communicator. So he is the MC of the night. He's sort of the one moving the chess pieces around. He has taken Orpheus under his wing and he kind of tells him like, okay, well, go do this. Okay, go talk to Eurydice. And he's the um, sort of the puppeteer a little bit. We also have the fates and the fates are three old women, it says in the, in the lyrics and the fates serve as the inner thoughts of each of the characters. So anytime a character is trying to decide when to do something, the fates show up and they're sort of acting as that inner debate in the person's mind. They're a little bit meddlesome and they're kind of always moving people toward the wrong or the darker decision, the one that is going to cripple them in the future but they do it in a really um, seductive and beautiful way with their singing. And then the next group of people in this story is the workers ensemble, um, which I already mentioned. And they, you know, when we're up on top, as they call it, and um, we're not in Hades town, they populate the life of, or they populate the world of the living, but they really serve in the story when they're in Hades town. And they are the workers that have, forgotten who they are. They've forgotten their identity. They've become slaves to Hades and slaves to the factory and the work and the technology. And it's sort of a, you know, an analogy for us when we are getting lost in all of these things and we forget who we really are, which is, you know, these beautiful beings, creatures of light. And then I would say one other element that is is like a character is the band. The The band has seven members and they interact with the cast throughout the show. Um, and they, you know, they actually, some of them get up and move from their locations in the pit that's on stage and um, will, you know, dance or move around with their instruments. So what happens in the story, and I'm, it's totally going to be a spoiler alert, but this is based on Greek tragedy that is already known. So the spoiler alert has been known for a thousand years. Okay. So, <laughs> um, So Orpheus falls in love with Eurydice. Hades and Persephone are at odds with each other. Hades goes looking for someone who will appreciate him, and he finds Eurydice. 
And Eurydice is, you know, she's struggling to survive even though she's with Orpheus. Orpheus is so obsessed with writing his song that he doesn't see the oncoming winter and that they don't have food and they don't have firewood and they're barely able to survive. And she is so wanting of that security. Hades comes along and says, you'll never have to want again. I will take care of you and I will provide for you. And Eurydice ends up saying, okay, I will go with you. And she signs a contract and goes to Hadestown. So the rest of the story is Orpheus walking this long, dangerous, um, perilous road to Hadestown to rescue Eurydice. And along the way, he finishes writing this song. And when he finally gets there to convince Hades to let Eurydice go, he plays, plays the song. And we learn that the song is actually the song of Hades and Persephone's love from ages ago. And they're both sort of reawakened to what their love used to be. And Hades' heart starts to soften a bit. And he, he wants to let Eurydice go back with Orpheus. But he knows that he can't just be seen as, you know, giving in to them. So he gives them a condition. And the condition is, you guys can walk out of here but here's how you have to do it. Orpheus, you have to go back by yourself first and Eurydice will be following behind you. And Orpheus, if you at any moment look back behind you to see Eurydice, that's it. Eurydice is doomed to stay in Hadestown forever. So if you ever let doubt or insecurity of her love of following you get into your head and you turn around, that's it. So it's a tragedy. I'm guessing you guys know what's about to happen. So there's this beautiful, beautiful music of him starting the road and the fates show up and the fates start messing with his head and all this doubt comes in and it, it overtakes him and it messes with his head so much to the point where he does finally look back to Eurydice. And Eurydice has been singing this whole time, these lines of reassurance, I'm here, I'm following you, but he doesn't hear any of that. And, you know, they have that moment where they lock eyes and then that's the end. And then Hermes comes out and he sings. This is such a cool moment in the show. He sings the opening song, Road to Hell, again as a reprise. And he starts, um, let me pull up the words real quick. So he starts singing the same lyrics from the opening, which is, this is an old song. This is a sad song. And the first time we hear it, it's done in this up-tempo kind of groovy way. And now at the end, you understand, oh, it is a sad song and this is a tragedy. And he says, it's a tragedy, but we sing it anyway. To know how it ends and still begin to sing it again as if it might turn out this time. And then Hermes starts telling the story again from the beginning, as if we're about to go through the whole thing again. And he says, Orpheus makes you see how the world could be in spite of the way that it is. Oh, it just like got me in the heart that, you know, usually when we watch these shows, like the guy gets the girl or the hero achieves what he needs to achieve or the heroine and the happy ending is there and we get that sort of you know, a bow wrapped up on this beautiful show and we walk out feeling like, ah, oh, good, good triumphed over evil. But in this such situation, what you get is this lesson that he did not achieve 
his goal. He did not rescue Eurydice. She is forever doomed. And it's this tragic ending that just breaks your heart. But you still feel like you learned the lesson a lot better because of this, because you're walking out saying, man, it's so important to make the right choice. The next time I'm faced with some sort of decision or some sort of, um, you know, faith that I need to have in something instead of having doubt, it's like you're, you know, in your bones that, well, I'm going to be the one that makes the right choice. I'm going to be the one that has faith instead of losing faith. And it's, I, I just, was blown away by the ending, even though I knew what happened, the way that they treated it and the use of the reprise was so gorgeous. And the way that, um, Andre, the actor sings the end of this with his voice sort of going breathy and cracking, um, versus the rest of the show where it's very spoken and chanted in an up-tempo kind of manner, um, like an MC or like a, um, the leader of the circus whatever he's called, that is like calling out and barking to people almost, right? And now it's just chilling and still. And then what happens is the lights come up at this point, but the show's not quite over. Persephone steps forward and she sings, we raise our cups, which is the name of the song. And she lifts a toast with the audience to Orpheus and to the story of these lovers. And she says, wherever he may be roaming alone, let our singing follow him and bring him comfort. Good night. And that's the end. And so you walk out and I've never seen it, but like I stopped and like walked out of my room or whatever thinking, Ooh, okay, we're going to keep doing this. We're going to keep having to tell this story, but there is hope and let there be comfort knowing that we all went on this journey together and we're all going to attempt it again. What's so great is one of the interviews that I watched, um, I think it might've been with Amber Gray, who plays Persephone. She talks about how this is what social justice and social justice movements are all about. It's not that you're going to achieve it in your generation. It's not that you're going to win the battle, but it's about slowly moving the needle in the right direction and that you keep standing up for and you keep doing the protest and you keep writing the letter and you keep doing whatever you need to do to in future generations get you where you want to be and it's and she says it's sort of like this tale of Orpheus is going to happen over and over and it might happen 10 or 20 times before Orpheus makes it back you know all the way without without doubt winning I'm sort of reminded of the matrix doesn't that happen also? They say like they've had all of these Neos happen, like they've had the story of the Matrix over and over, and then they just rebuild it and restart, but they've never had it where the um, the chosen one like breaks through. Okay, that was totally not in my notes, but it came up to me right now. If you're a Matrix person, you know exactly what I mean. So that is the characters, the summary, um, and you feel like you can get a sense now of this mystical and magical, and there's like this sense of ancient, you know, wisdom being passed down. So as you are thinking about your audition material and what you're going to be presenting in your audition, it's deep, man. It is, it's not heavy, it's hopeful, but it's deep and it's heart centered and it's honest and it's sincere and it's not about showing off anything. It's not about having the riffiest riffs or the highest belt. You really are looking to show your soul 
in this audition. All right, so let's talk about the score a little bit more, and then we'll actually get to the audition specifics. So the score, like I said, it incorporates folk and Appalachian, bluegrass, blues, and jazz, and it weaves it all together into this um, beautiful sort of quilt or texture throughout the entire show. And I said that the sometimes the style is this magical, ethereal world, but at other times it is like a jazzy, debaucherous party, or other times it's like this singing rhythmic chant that reminds you of the train chugging down the tracks. So let me just share a little bit of how they're, how they're doing this, and you can hopefully be looking for these instances in the songs that you're um, going to use for your audition. For the magical, ethereal, poetic vibe, they really use the acoustic guitar and electric, electric guitar, but mostly the acoustic guitar as it's sort of like the lyre of, of old times, of ancient times. And a lyre was a little bit more like a harp, but um, you could also think of a lute in the Middle Ages and the minstrels in the courts that would, they would sing and tell these stories and they would pluck the guitar in a finger picking style is what this is called. So it's where you pluck the, the guitar strings with your fingers um, and it feels more like a rolling, it's called an arpeggio if you know those kinds of things, but one note at a time kind of thing. It's not strummed like in rock music where the emphasis is really on rhythm. In this score, it's all about the pluck and that rolling feeling, and it's kind of reminiscent of a harp as well. So that is a, a beautiful sound. It's used particularly in Orpheus's epic songs, Epic 1, Epic 2, and Epic 3, where those are actually like he is a minstrel singing his narrative poem, but it's also shared throughout the rest of the, um, throughout the rest of the score. Um, when they're in their jazz mode, there's like a New Orleans jazz flavor, flavor and New Orleans jazz is characterized by, um, it's something called a front line. So they would often have this be like a marching band and it would be uh, three horn players, maybe like a trumpet, a trombone, and like a clarinet or something like that. And then behind them would be a rhythm section. And the horns really propelled the energy and the melody of the um, of the music, but it wasn't a big band sound like for swing dancing. It's really a small, smaller sound. So there's New Orleans jazz in it where it's all about the, those horns. And in this band, there's only one trombone. There's only a single horn. And he is like, a whole character in the show. And then there's also these gypsy jazz flavors and gypsy jazz features acoustic guitar and violin doing melodic work and usually kind of intricate melodic work. And you will hear violin all over the score. Also sometimes accordion, which is played by one of the fates. Um, and it has this sort of like folk or gypsy jazz flavor. And then additionally, there's just sort of modern artistic jazz, the artistic jazz, I don't even know what that is, but a modern jazz flavor because the orchestrators are jazz musicians themselves in addition to playing folk music. So they put those together into a really cool combination. And then the other main element, we've got like the, the folk guitar element, we've got this jazz element, and then there's like this blues element. Um, and it's like a call and response thing that is that pops up throughout the show and it's especially used for for Hermes the narrator of the story and he does a masterful job of this speak singing 
this rhythmic delivery. And then he intones a little bit on a few pitches and then goes back to speaking. So he really has the caller role. And then the fates and the ensemble have the responder role, just like you would have in, um, you know, in like work songs of, of slaves on the plantations. It has, it recalls that. And it also goes back to like the chain gang work songs of the prisoners that were building the railroads in, you know, the nineties, tens, twenties, and thirties. That's 1890s, 1900s, 1910s, a century ago. Um, and so you're, you're referencing the building of the railroad by using the songs that they sang when they were building the railroad, which is super cool. Also in that blues, the fates are using this like, hmm, this, um, you know, it's like a, it's like a train horn. They're humming, but they're in tight harmony. And it's like the train whistle, which is kind of cool. It's not a horn. It's a whistle. Um, another reference that you might think of for this blues genre, you can imagine like Ray Charles would go back and forth with his backup singers, the Ray Letts, um, and it's that kind of energy. But Ray Charles's stuff is all very like kind of um, sexual or romantic, where he's the romantic center of the story. But this stuff with Hermes is more like the old blues singers like Muddy Waters and Johnny Lee Hooker, who are, are singing like the blues, the woes of life. And there's a wisdom and a faith in what they're singing about. So that is sprinkled throughout the show as well, which is super cool. Um, and each character maybe operates in one of those worlds more than the other worlds. Like I would say Hermes is more in the blues world. Uh, Persephone more in the jazz world and Orpheus and Eurydice more in the the um, the folk magic world. Uh, but because it underlays the entire show, I mean, they're singing throughout all of these songs. They're going to be singing all of the different styles. Okay, so now let's talk about auditioning for the show. I was able to get um, the actual audition notice from Backstage.com for Town on Broadway. So I just want to actually use this as our outline. They have a note from the creative team right at the top, and let me read it to you. It says, We welcome performers of all ethnicities, gender identities, and body types. We are seeking actors with unique, vibrant singing skills, Certain roles will also require strong instrumental abilities. Actors of diverse cultural and racial backgrounds are encouraged to apply. In general, we are not looking for conventional musical theater style slash vibrato singers. We are seeking singers capable of pure tones and or vibrato that feels informed by jazz, rock, and gospel. Oh my gosh, they are so specific. They, it's so clear, are looking for unique voices that are full of their own vocal colors. They don't want standard forward placement, twangy musical theater voices, okay, which is super cool. And they want you to be able to do pure tone, which we could also interpret as straight tone, um, and then vibrato that is not standard musical theater style. So you really want to have some familiarity with jazz and rock and gospel singing. So let's look at each role. Orpheus is a high tenor role with lots of falsetto. Guys, you have got to show falsetto in your audition. He's an optimist, an idealist, a counterculturalist. 
there should be something special about his pipes, is what they say, but his voice. Not conventionally handsome, leading man. He should feel unique and have the sensitive soul of an artist, and he must play guitar. So, I mean, that's a no-brainer. If you can't play guitar, you cannot audition for this role on Broadway. I'm sure they're going to have to do it the same way when they produce it at local theaters. Um, So the music you're looking for, sensitive, intimate, magical, optimistic, and showing high-range falsetto stuff. Um, I would be looking at folk and Appalachian, that sort of Southern or mountain folk genres, You could find pieces sung by men in their falsetto, but I would also be open to looking at songs normally sung by women that you could maybe even just sing in the same range as women. Um, But I mean, you can figure that out, what key is best for you. Um, I would specifically look for artists that have that, that poet soul. It's almost, you know, it's a sage if you, if you go back to the you know, the rock attitudes episode that I was talking about. The sage is that person that's been to another world and is coming back and telling you that there's hope and um, they have that secret information to tell us. So here are some artists that I think you might look at for this. Um, the Civil Wars, Aeneas Mitchell, obviously a good place to start is with the composer. Bob Dylan, but his stuff sung higher. And sometimes with Bob Dylan songs, like you have to hear them actually covered by other artists for you to fully figure out like their potential. They're so deeply written and the, the rhyme and the meter of the songwriting is gorgeous. Um, but his singing voice is, is scruffy. So if you have a hard time imagining it, look at people who have covered his songs. Um, Joan Baez, folk singer from the, um, the sixties and seventies, Bon Iver, Neil Young, though he's not real optimistic, but he does have a high voice. Towns Van Zant, Elliot Smith, Jeff Buckley, maybe Nick Drake, if you could sing it higher. Mumford and Sons, the Lumineers, the Avett Brothers, James Vincent McMorrow, Gunger, Ray La Montagna, even the Indigo Girls. So that I know that might be a little bit esoteric for you, but Indigo Girls were this amazing folk duo in the 90s. So you got to think like, who was Aeneas listening to? Who were her influences? And then she emerged in the 2000s, right? So it's like the Indigo Girls and um, Melissa Etheridge. And I'll mention some of them when I talk about the girls. Okay, so that's what I'm thinking for Orpheus. For Eurydice, Eurydice, they've marked her as an alto slash soprano. So Take that as you will. Those are two totally different things. Um, they they said that her range is E3 to E5, which seems tremendous. I don't know if that's actually what it is in the show, but um, that's what they say it is. She is female, any ethnicity, a practical leading heroine with an extremely vulnerable underbelly, a haunted bird. Okay, use that. That is such an alive, amazing phrase that they have given you. You need to show that in your audition. She takes the leap to the underworld as a step towards something reliable. There is both toughness and delicacy in her being and her singing. She uses a belt for some songs and real subtlety for others. Okay, this is so important. She does show belting, but it's always connected to like emotional duress. 
right? There's always something she's calling for or that she's needing, and so she's belting. But she does use subtlety and many different colors and attitudes. So you've got to show some range when it comes to um, your audition, some range, uh, emotional range more so. Don't worry about all the high stuff. You can get a call back and show them that you can do the belted things. She lives in much the same land of that folk Appalachian stuff as Orpheus. So you can look at those same artists and sing them, but here are some female artists to check out. And likewise, these you could check out for Orpheus too. Again, Aeneas Mitchell, always a good starting point. Sean Colvin, another 90s songwriter, folk artist who is so amazing. Man, I've been listening to her again as I've been studying for this and it's beautiful. Um, Alison Krauss. Alison Krauss gives you that Appalachian vibe. And she was um, one of the singers on the Oh Brother, Where Art Thou soundtrack from ages ago. So there she is. Um, Sierra Farrell. She's a newer folk artist. Big Thief, contemporary folk rock artist. The Weepies, which is a duo, and the gal in that, her name is Deb Talon, and she's a solo artist as well. Again, 90s, 2000s. Nickel Creek, this is an Appalachian sort of bluegrass band. Um, Rhiannon Giddens, a new folk artist that has an old soul, an old spirit. Um, I believe she plays banjo, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, Rhiannon Giddens. And y'all, I'm going to put all of this in a resource that you can download. I should have mentioned that like five times already in this episode, and I haven't. You're going to be able to just go to my website and click on this, and I'm going to have all this information for you guys. Okay, so don't worry about writing down all these names unless you really want to. Um, also, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, if you do her more mystical, otherworldly stuff, Patty Griffin, Tori Amos, maybe. Her mood is magical and mystical, but her lyrics are sometimes too... I don't know, too much about her own like sexual experiences. (laughs) Um, I was listening to him. I'm like, I don't know. Could we sing this for an audition or could we not? So maybe look at Tori Amos' stuff. Maybe Ingrid Michaelson. Ingrid Michaelson comes off as a little too cute, a little too, you know, happy with herself for her songs. Um, They are mystical and magical, but they're a little bit more like cutesy and whimsical, for Eurydice. Eurydice really has like this harder edge that she needs to show. Um, and then also Ani DeFranco, another artist from the 90s who who owned the record label that Aeneas was, um, you know, featured on. All right, let's move to our other lovers, Hades. Hades is a bass and a true bass. And they, it's so cool because like we don't ever get to hear this this vocal type really in musical theater. His range is marked as G1. That's the first one, the lowest G on the piano. And then they say they will consider G2, the octave above. So they're really looking for, I mean, he's the Lord of the dead. So his voice needs to feel like it could be the Lord of the dead. They tell you he is powerful, immortal, and deeply in love with Persephone needs to have a major seductive power and a strong authoritative presence, tyrannical and a bit menacing. He is a strange one. His music is all, again, like kind of entrancing, like he's magically bringing you under his spell, 
but it also has some of the blues call kind of stuff, depending on which song. So like John Hooker or Lead Belly, Lightning Hopkins, those kind of people. But you could also go like more contemporary artists like um, Greg Laswell, another 2000s artist, um, Rufus Wainwright. You might be able to take his stuff down lower. Leonard Cohen, beautiful folk pop writer, um, which we should all know for the song Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Leonard Cohen write that, wrote that song. Um, so th- Hades is going to be a little trickier to find music for, but you want to show the depth of your range. Persephone. Persephone is alto slash mezzo, 40s to 60s, female, any ethnicity. She's a goddess, playful, mercurial, fun, and sexy. She is not too feminine and lets her sharp edges show. She is the seasons and is cut from the same cloth as Orpheus. That's interesting. She must have a wryness and intelligence that she uses sharply for both entertainment and as a defense mechanism. So when I first heard Persephone's songs, I thought, oh, these are the New Orleans jazz. These are like fun, party, I'm the entertainment. I can get everybody riled up kind of character. But she's also intelligent and she's sharp and she is using that party attitude as her defense mechanism for a lot of unhappiness that's underneath it. And when you start watching interviews with Amber Gray, she talks about the development of this character. You know, she brings up the idea that Persephone is drinking. She's self-medicating to sort of numb out all of the unhappiness that she has. So when you are picking your songs, if you're going for Persephone, it's not just I can show my jazz vocal colors, right? And have fun and growl and, and be the entertainer. You've also got to show that there's a world inside you. There's an unhappiness. There's something eating away at you. Okay, so some artists to look at. Bonnie Raitt. Oh, so good. Bonnie Raitt. Dr. John. Now, Dr. John is that is a New Orleans blues artist. Um, he's pretty, he's like Bayou kind of Cajun flavored um, music. And um, you'd have to do a little bit of creativity because you got to transpose it and put it a key for yourself. Um, but that often happens. Patty Griffin, oh gosh, what a deep, beautiful songwriter. Brandy Carlisle, contemporary folk artist that is, again, has that sort of tortured soul thing going on. Sean Colvin, um, Amy Mann, you might be able to find some stuff from Amy Mann, um, 2000s songwriter, folk artist. The Weepies slash Deb Talon, who is the, the gal who's in that. The Civil Wars, again, oh man, some of that Civil Wars stuff it, it's so it's like a duo, you know, Civil Wars is a guy and a gal. And it's like Orpheus and Eurydice together. But some of the songs are so like dark and heavy that they could be Persephone songs, too. Um, and then she I would also look into just jazz music from the 20s and 30s and see if you can add the layers of Persephone's character into those songs. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking people like Billie, Ho- Billie Holiday and are there, you know, so she had a lot of, you know, brokenness in her life and she sings those songs with so much life experience. So what, how could you do that with Persephone on some of those 30 songs? Those artists would be like Gershwin and Cole Porter, um, among others. 
Okay, let's keep moving. We've got um, two more categories here. Hermes is a tenor or baritone, 30s to 80s. I love it. Hermes could be anybody, <laughs> male, any ethnicity. Hermes is the narrator, guide, MC of the story, charismatic, often mysterious, with a trickster-ish quality. So Hermes is definitely the old blues man, the Delta blues. This is like muddy waters, bum, bum, da, 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 bum, 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 that kind of stuff. Yeah. Johnny Lee Hooker, B.B. King, Ray Charles, like some of those same people I said for, for Hades as well. Um, you want the talk singing, you want the wisdom of life in these songs. All right. The three fates, the fates, they're powerful and dark is what the audition notice says. They operate as one of the voices in the heads of the other characters. Perk up for this one. All of the fates must play an instrument of some kind and be skilled with harmonies. So I know one of them plays violin. I think one of them, there's an accordion track, and I think one of them is a percussion, I want to say. I've got to check on that for you guys. But the other thing to note is that one of the fates covers Eurydice, and one of the fates covers Persephone. So if you want to be a fate, also think about who are you one that would be covering one of those other roles and make sure your music is in line with that. Um, so there is a fate that's a soprano, one that is an alto or mezzo, and then another one that's a low alto. And I'm not sure as those are designated which who's covering which. I'm sure that it just depends on casting and how they move you around. Um, but if you have a low alto, rich voice, I'm talking about like true altos where the most glorious part of your voice is right around middle C and those few notes below it. Um, this is an awesome opportunity for you. That voice is featured so nicely in these moments with the fates. Um, what the fates do and that what you need to cover in your audition is that they sing with a, so many different vocal colors throughout the whole show. They'll sing in tight three-part harmony, kind of like the Andrew sisters on the jazzy tunes. In other times, they are singing on ooze and it's kind of breathy and they're imitating the wind. Other times they're singing on hums with this kind of earthy energy behind it. And it's the train whistle. And it's also the, you know, the living of life in there. They use their voices kind of like a horn, like a, a trumpet or a trombone. And they can, you know, like you'll hear a trumpet go wah, wah, because they'll have like a little, um, what's it called? Like a plunger. It's called a plunger mute. It's actually, you know, I have a toilet plunger and that little like rubber part on the end. So they have that rubber part and they move it over the bell and they open it and close it to go wah, wah. And so the gals, the fates actually do those kinds of things with their, with their mouth, with their lips as they're singing these songs. So their diction morphs to create a horn-like quality. So whatever variety of vocal color that you can show, you want to do that. Um, I would probably pick something up-tempo for the fates. You know, jazz-influenced would be fantastic. If you're going for a fate that's covering Eurydice, you might want to do more of the folk um, magical thing. That could work too. The last group that they don't mention in this audition notice, but it's the workers chorus. 
So there are eight characters that we just talked about, and then there are five more people that are just in the workers' chorus, and these are the people that you know populate the scenes in the in the bars and whatnot when they're up on the earth. But then in Hades Town, they're the workers in the factory, and these people are singing throughout in many different songs. So it could be it could draw on something from any of these categories, but they are also. Um, you know, they're the dead. They've lost their souls to Hades. They're condemned. They've lost their identities. And over the course of the show, Orpheus shows them that they can regain their identity and they start singing and rebelling against Hades. And so there's a sense of like hope and uplifting and fighting back. That's really amazing. And it almost has like gospel vibes in some of those pieces. So if you could find something maybe that is, that is more, um, you know, hopeful and uplifting, that could be an interesting choice for an audition piece. Um, I think you could go either way, like uh, up-tempo, energetic, um, jazz, folk jazz, or you could do something that's more like hopeful or gospel oriented, or you could stay in the mythical, uh, a magical acoustic folk land also. All right. So those are the, the, all the roles that you might audition for. That is the show. Y'all, I could talk for hours about this show. We haven't even listened to any of the music. So I'm going to be doing that hopefully on my Instagram uh, account this week and in the coming weeks and years because I just love this show so much. Um, If you found today's show helpful, share it with a friend. Again, I'm going to have an online resource available for you that you can just print out and it will have that audition breakdown. It's going to have a list of all the artists. Um, I might put a summary in there, though you can find that on Wikipedia, really. Um, And I just want you to have everything you need because this show is coming back and people are going to want to produce this show all over the country. The tour is going to go out, I'm sure, very soon um, after we come back. So um, I just think you're going to, you're going to want to do this show and you're going to want to be auditioning. So share this with somebody else, send them a, a screenshot of the podcast, and then also consider leaving a review. Um, it's just so helpful for other people that are like looking through musical theater podcasts when there are reviews that show them that like, okay, other people find this helpful. I'm actually going to take a listen. So if you have time to do that, that would be fantastic. I would so appreciate it. Um, that's it for today, y'all. I am on Instagram every day. If you want to DM me at studying the song, you can email me studying the song at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing your time with me. Um, hopefully I will get to work with you in person one day and I'm working on some classes and coachings going live and all that kind of stuff coming out too. So keep your eyes open for those things. All right. In the meantime, be well, be blessed. I will see you next time on studying the song.